The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawbox. So you're watching the show with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Cedric. Lovely to see you back. Nice to see you too. Good. Right, let's get you some headlines then. Okay, so the US equities are logging their biggest one-day gain in nearly three months. Uh, yields taking a breather as a drop in labor market data boosts expectations the Fed may take its foot off the pedal. The U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo warning China is becoming, wait for it, uninvestable, calling on Beijing to lower its barriers to business as American companies reportedly shun investments in the country. A landmark legal victory, a U.S. appeals court overturns the SEC's decision to block Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF, initially sending the world's largest cryptocurrency strongly higher. Chevron evacuates staff from its three golf platforms as Hurricane Adalia picks up pace near Florida's coast, threatening to become a Category 4 storm. And ABB CEO Bjorn Rosengren says he's pessimistic on China amid troubles in the property and construction sector, but tells CNBC in an exclusive interview that there's still hope for a turnaround. China continues to be uh, pretty soft. Mm. Uh, it's a big market though, so it, it's not dead, so it's, it's still uh, living there, but uh, uh, not really developing as uh, we hoped. Uh. So you've only been off for uh, well, four or five days, but you have a restful time. Yeah, it wasn't like I missed much. Jackson Hole, um, <laughs> jolts numbers rolling through yesterday. Well, yeah, yeah. Did Mark you learn anything reaction? on your travels? I always like to know the anecdotal because some of the best analysts go around the country or go around the world and they look at what people are doing, what people are spending, whether they feel flush or not. I notice house prices are coming off or transactions in the UK quite aggressively as well. And I was wondering, even in the shishi areas where you went, whether you noticed uh, a belt tightening going on or people just still flush with cash. It was hard to tell whether people had cut back on spending or whether they'd simply just gone elsewhere to spend the money, namely yes. overseas. Yes, and obviously and that, look how that ended. Peak, exactly, one of the peak times for travel and a lot of people, as a result, have been caught up in the chaos. But you mentioned a shishi place. There's one particular, as in the Cotswolds, yeah, very shishi pub that's normally packed. You can't get a booking at. Yes. It was pretty much not full at all, empty. That's really interesting. And that was on a major public holiday too. That is interesting. I think that tallies with what a lot of us are seeing at the moment, that actually people are beginning to cut back. That, that, that is very, very clear from the US data yesterday. We saw uh, some conference board data as well that said Americans are getting a little bit more nervous about their own personal finances. But actually, their concerns about recession are, are for next year are actually quite low. But I'll tell you about the key data, and we, and we referred to it in the headlines as well. And it's one that I've been obsessed with for years, and that, that's the jolt data. So US job openings fell to their lowest level in nearly two and a half years in July, as did the number of people quitting their roles. Remember, you only quit your job by and large. I mean, there are obviously lots of nuances and subtleties about this, but you only quit your job if you think, A, you don't need that job, or B, you can get another better job somewhere else. I think that's pretty much the logic, isn't it? And I know there are subtleties to it, but you don't quit uh, unless you feel okay about yourself. And so number of people quitting their roles 
actually decline. But the headline figure, the July jolt, which is the um, the, the labour market turnover survey, uh, figure dipped to 8.8 million. Now that is down nearly 340,000 on the month. The one thing I will say is, and I think it's really important to note, that actually the average um, for previous years, pre-pandemic, was actually still uh, significantly lower than the figure. So we're still talking about elevated jobs market, but but a lot lower than it has been in previous months. The latest data points towards a cooling off in the American labour market, something the Fed, of course, uh, has seen as necessary to tamp down on inflation and ease wage pressure. Now, the data raised hopes, of course, uh, amongst some investors that the Fed will keep rates on hold at its September meeting, with markets now pricing in an 86% chance it keeps the benchmark rate unchanged at 525 to 5.5%. But it has to be said, you've got the, uh, the big data, of course, the payroll data due at the tail end of this week. The markets loved it, Karen. Yeah, they did a lot with that data yesterday, didn't they? We saw a pop on the major markets for the S&P 500, the biggest one-day gain in about three months. So it certainly set uh, some fire amongst uh, these uh, investors stateside with those equity markets certainly responding. Eight-tenths of a percent plus on the Dow, 292 points to the upside, 64 on the S&P 500, or uh, almost one and a half percent gain. But it was tech stocks well and truly out in front again one and three quarters of a percent. Uh, so what we've had really fourth pause a day in about five for these major markets, but still trading down for the month of August. That is crucial. It has not been a great trading month. So the green you saw on the screen yesterday around the data, encouraging some investors back into the water, that was fairly instrumental to minimise some of the damage that we've witnessed over the month of August. Let's take you to those big tech names. It was a bit of an AI story again around NVIDIA, this around an AI partnership with Google Cloud, allowing those Google Cloud customers to access very powerful chips of NVIDIA. So we're speeding up the AI race. And you can see the stock at a record high, up another four plus percent. The likes of Alphabet, the owner of Google, up 2.8%. But elsewhere, big momentum names, Tesla back in the game. You can see as well a pop at 7.7% for that stock. Well, U.S. banking regulators have unveiled plans to force regional lenders with at least $100 billion to hold long-term debt that would absorb any losses in the event of a state bailout or seizure. Under the new proposals impacted, banks will have to maintain debt levels of 3.5% of average total assets or 6% of risk-weighted assets, whichever is higher. And this was the reaction across the banks. You can see uh, some of those banks from PacWest up more than 3% to First Citizen, gain of near on 2% in KeyCorp rallying about 2.8% versus other, the other major names are stronger by about one and a half on Bank of America, about eight tenths on JP Morgan. Treasuries, uh, this is where we saw movement too, and you can see these yields now at the short end, 4.91, so we're back below that 5% handle where we're perched at this hour, 4.13 also peeling lower too on that 10-year yield. The dollar as a result, uh, we did see a reaction here and it was on the back foot. Uh, morning session, though, sterling euro showing some slippage down by just over a tenth of a percent. 126.21 on cable, 108.59 uh, on euro dollar this morning. And as for dollar yen rates, so slight support coming through against the Asian currencies, still up about a quarter of 1% and versus the yuan also trading firmer. So clawing back some territory 
morning session after a rough 24 hours for the dollar trade. To WTI, Brent and gold. These are the trades early on. Brent is at 85.74, up about a third of a percent, marching into the green too for WTI, 81.5 on the trade. Gold giving back a little bit of territory as a greenback has picked up some steam this morning. But we did see a little bit of appetite for the trade in a session yesterday. Gold settling up at uh, effectively its highest level since the 8th of August from earlier this month. So we're at 19.36 at just uh, a level that is a somewhat stable morning session, but showing us a little bit of red ink. To the Asian markets in session, Japanese stocks picking up on that Wall Street rally, 175 points to the upside, or just over half of a percent. Modest amounts again on the Hong Kong market and on China. Still a lot of caution playing out around the story on the Chinese market. The Australian uh, ASX up 1.3%. Very strong rally there too. Picking up on that US action, Steve. Super duper. Uh, Janice Henderson's uh, global dividend index hit a new record in the second quarter. New record in the second quarter. Payouts of $568 billion as 88% of companies either raised or held divvies. Payouts in the UK, though, pared back amid a downturn in the mining sector, although this was partly offset by higher dividends from the country's lenders. Ben Lofthouse, head of global equities at Janice Henderson, joins us now. Ben, nice to see you as ever, sir. Um, well, I've just gone through a couple of the, the broad brush comments as well, but what are your main findings in this survey? Well, I, I think the main one is... Um you know, it's a surprisingly strong quarter for growth. If you think we're a year on from the war in Ukraine, um, we've had regional banking blow up in the US, uh, we've had rampant inflation. Um, and actually, the, the, the strongest part of this report suggests, you know, European companies are in good health. So 10% growth year on year for, for European companies. And it's led by some pretty cyclical sectors. So autos uh, and banks. Um, so yeah, it'd be a pretty pretty positive set of results, and I think you know the, the key thing for you know for this report is you know everyone talks about the market each day, but these are you know not sentiment driven numbers; these are real cash driven numbers. Um, you know, boards of directors and management teams sit for a long time trying to decide the right figures, and you know they they, they seem pretty comfortable. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, look, you've been looking at this for years. I've been looking at it as a layman for years as well. And it would seem to me that if you weren't confident about uh, the risk, of, uh, the, the upside risk uh, for your company, you wouldn't be increasing divvy so much. You would actually be doing it through buybacks or other means as well. Is the expansion of dividend actually a good metaphor for the confidence of companies in themselves, their industries and the broader economy? Yeah, I, I think we have to remember that uh, dividends are more of an indication from a management point of view, the long term you know, hopes and aspirations and strength. So, uh, you know, what you're seeing here, I think, is a number of industries that have had a very uncertain decade. Uh, so banking has had a very uncertain decade with very low interest rates. Uh, interest rates are higher. And they, you know, the banks have been recapitalized and they're feeling more comfortable about, you know, returning some of that, um, you know, the, returning some of that profit. They're seeing higher profit. They've benefited from inflation. The same with um, areas like the auto sector. You know, they've seen tight supply uh, four or five years ago. We thought companies like Germany, uh, companies like Mercedes-Benz and BMW, you know, they didn't have very strong uh, strategies to tackle Tesla and electrification. And actually, we've, we, we've seen them come through this period again, partly because you couldn't get cars through COVID. So you have to pay a lot and the prices went very high. But we've seen them generating enormous amounts of cash, investing in battery plants. 
And yeah, I think they're feeling more comfortable about their future than they did a few years ago. And just to dive a little deeper into some of the sectors and banks in particular, you know, you mentioned that they contributed half the world's dividend growth in the second quarter, drove a quarter of European dividend growth. So heavy lifting coming through from the banking sector. But when it comes to the US peers, I mean, they, they increased those payouts as they sailed through the Fed's stress test. If we are going into a downturn, if non-performing loans are going to be ramping up, does that mean we've seen the best of it when it comes to banking dividends? I think we might have seen the best of the growth. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, we've seen a period where there was only just two or three years ago, incredible uncertainty, um, large provisions were taken. Uh, actually, the losses didn't come through as strongly as people thought. Interest rates have gone up. But actually, things like US banks, we're not seeing as many IPOs. We're not seeing as much market activity. So some of those earnings in the M&A won't, you know, won't be as strong. We're seeing some of that coming back. You know, Obviously, we've got ARM. We've had some quite big um, merger and acquisition activity. So you know, some of those earnings are, are starting to pick up again. But I, I think we could say that the, the payout ratios are more where they should be versus a few years ago. So we don't see them as to be the big drivers of you know, growth for the next, maybe next year, if we're sitting here in a year's time talking about it. Ben, if we can also just explore the outlook for mining dividends, uh, you point out that mining payouts fell sharply in the UK, and some of this really uh, thanks to well, what we saw from the sector as they stepped away from balance sheet rationalisation to an extent, uh, first early steps, but also commodity prices have fallen, so some of those special dividends have also dropped away. What comes next? Because it feels as though the commentary from a lot of these big mining companies recently is that they may not have portfolios for the future, given we've seen this huge push into electric vehicles, they need to add certain uh, different elements to the portfolio. Doesn't that mean payouts have to be much smaller from here thanks to the reinvestment cycle? I think um, we are seeing miners kind of indicate that they're they're ready to grow again. Uh, we're seeing some of them are ready to acquire. So we've seen companies like BHP, you know, acquiring companies, particularly copper assets. But I, I think I don't think it's that that's impacting dividends. I think the the balance sheets are very strong. So you know, in my in my career, you know, almost twenty years uh, when we entered into 07, 08, you know, they entered with some some very weak balance sheets. I think they've learned that lesson. If you look at the, the balance sheets for these companies, they're enormous. Um, cash generators, uh, many of them got almost net cash. So I think you'll see that's what they, they use to fund any acquisitions or growth. I, I think for them, you know, China is still a massive driver. So we talk about batteries and um, copper and, and other materials that go into, um, into electrification. But actually, you know, having the apartments being built and uh, real estate being built, infrastructure being built in China is still a big driver. So you know, I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty comes from. Um, so, yeah, I think if, if you see China picking up over the next year, uh, some more stimulus happening that, that gets things going, you know, that, that's probably going to be good for the mining dividends. If not, they'll probably still be quite cautious. Uh, ben, when you're having conversations with FTSE 100 companies, are you pointing out that they've lost their dividend advantage that was an exciting factor a couple of years ago? You and Karen talking about mining, of course, major constituent of the FTSE. But elsewhere, it was always, well, the FTSE gives you this brilliant yield, way better than you're going to get in the bond market. And now what do you get for two-year paper? You get 4.96, and actually for a, a blended FTSE average, you get 3.9. Are you having those conversations with those uh, FTSE leaders? Yeah, I, I think um, I would say we're having more of those conversations with investors. Yeah, I think the when you look at the the FTSE leaders, you know they made it pretty clear. Um, you know things like mining, they're going to be variable. 
So, you know, if it looks like the yield 13% and commodities have fallen, you know, it's going to fall. So you don't, you don't necessarily buy them as a, uh, you know, based on the yield as a valuation. But I think we still have to recognize these dividends still give a large amount of the total return of, of equities. And if you look at the whole report, you know, it says that dividends are expected to grow 5% this year. You know, that's going a good way to keeping you up with real growth. It's uh, slightly behind inflation for this year, but for the last decade, actually well above inflation. So I think I think what we're saying to management teams and what we're talking to them about is, you know, we need to see growth long term because that's you know that's what the advantage of equities are versus say fixed income um, investments. And so it's important that these companies you know, find ways to grow long term. Um, and I think that that's kind of where the where the attraction for them comes. I think on the, on the positive point of view, you know, they've got really priced. As, as bond proxies to the extent that we maybe hope they did. So, you know, many of these companies did yield six or seven percent when yields were, you know, one or two percent or even zero percent across most of Europe. So, yeah, I think that that unwind, um, you know, hasn't been as harsh as it's been for, for areas like, say, property or, um, you know, maybe some of the more speculative areas in the market. Ben, you, you point out uh, in your commentary to us that Intel had the biggest dividend cut. Mm. What does that signal for the tech sector? We know that maturity is coming a lot quicker this time round, given the, the rapid nature of the tech cycle. What does tech look like in terms of payouts? Uh, tech overall looks great. I, you know, I have to say, if, for anyone who reads this report, you know, the, the, the real differentiator and diversification you could have had as an investor for the last decade, income investing, is to invest. Uh, in the tech sector. So um, overall, the sector is in rude health. I think, you know, Intel has has made strategic missteps. And I think that's what this report shows, actually. The biggest dividend cuts have come from uh, micro, not macro. So uh, Intel, Adidas. Uh, I think, you know, the the outlook for tech uh, over the last few years, has, over the last six months, I think it's got better. Uh, actually, been around Q2, three Q4 last year there was a really big slowdown in technology because we'd all you know pulled forward our consumption and data center spending was slowing down uh, we bought as many PCs as we had to, needed for home and work um, so actually the the sector has been going through quite a big slowdown um, advertising spend went and actually I think I think we're starting to see it find its mojo again uh, and if if AI spend moves from just the training of large language models to the actual um, implementation, uh, it, it means quite a lot of spend coming up. So the, the sector isn't one that we're worried about, but the you know very it shows the importance of stock picking within the sector. You can't just buy on the highest yield and, and hope that's indicative of value. I think there's incredible change happening. Um, the good news is that a lot of that change is happening this time, maybe unusually, in the big companies, the so Microsoft, Nvidia, um, you know, Apple, TSMC, all these companies. You know they're they're turning out to be the way to get access to perhaps um, you know, AI and these trends. So, no, we're still pretty positive there, actually. It's not going to be one of the big concerns for us. Ben, lovely to see you. And thanks, sir, for taking us through your report today. Always a pleasure, sir. Ben Lofthouse, Head of uh, Global Equities at Janus Henderson. And as investors brace for a potential market downturn, um, there are still plenty of stocks. Well, she's had a market uptick, haven't we? Let alone downturn. Anyway, there are plenty of stocks paying out a handsome dividend. Wolf Research has outlined its top picks, which you can find on our premium service, CNBC Pro. Coming up on the show, we'll have more on Gina Raimondo's visit to China with the U.S. Commerce Secretary pushing for greater investment opportunities for American companies. 
We'll get the latest insight into the Spanish economy this morning with flash inflation print at 9 CET as the country's politicians continue to talk to form a government. And throughout today's show, we'll bring you our exclusive interview with the ABB CEO, Bjorn Rosengren, who says he's optimistic on the outlook for China. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. China defended itself against suggestions it is, quote, uninvestable after U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said she's heard complaints from American firms about their difficulties operating in the world's second largest economy. China's spokesperson for its Washington embassy said most of the 70,000 American companies operating in China want to stay and said Beijing is working to further ease market access for foreign businesses. Speaking to China's Communist Party Secretary of Shanghai earlier this morning, Ramondo reaffirmed the importance of commercial ties. A stable relationship can be a ballast for our overall relationship. A stable economic relationship is good for America, good for China and good for the world. UK Foreign Secretary James Cleverly told China's Vice President it is important for the two countries to have regular face-to-face meetings in the first visit to the country by a senior government official in five years. The UK government is facing criticism from lawmakers over its relationship with China, with Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee releasing a report today highlighting what it calls the incoherence of its approach to the country. Goldman Sachs reportedly used a fund partly made up with Chinese state money for a series of acquisitions over the past six years. This according to the FT, Financial Times, which says that one of the companies the lender bought has a... Well, it didn't buy the, the company, did it? It bought a stake in the company. I think that's a very subtle difference. Uh, anyway, one of the companies that the lender invested in um, has a cybersecurity business providing services to the British government. The FT cites people with direct knowledge of the fund, which it says was uh, set up in 2017 as a $2.5 billion private equity partnership fund with the Sovereign Wealth Fund China Investment Corp. The Goldman CEO David Solomon has reportedly met with senior CIC leaders this year, and the fund is apparently still on the hunt for deals. And just, just on this Goldman side of the ledger, I mean, we've got three different stories here. We've got the James Cleverly story, who is the British official from the government going to China for a visit. We've got the Ramondo comments, uh, and we've got the Goldman Sachs story. Look, I think it's very interesting journalism, and look, really good journalism as ever, from Kay Wiggins and Will Lausch. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not entirely sure what the story is here. This is a fund that was set up with full knowledge. It wasn't clandestine. It was set up in 2017 with Lloyd Blankfein launching the China-US Industrial Cooperation Partnership Fund during uh, Trump's state visit to Beijing. Um, And apparently, again, this is from the FT copy, that would address Washington's concerns about a trade imbalance between the US and China by investing Chinese capital in American companies. The bank said the CIC would be an anchor investor. So far, so good. Um, Goldman said in a statement, the cooperation fund is a fund, it's a US fund run by a US manager and is managed 
to be in compliance with all laws and regulations. It continues to invest in US and global companies, helping them increase their sales into the Chinese market. I think if, if this was all unknown before, I mean, it's very interesting that we can all read this and, and it just sheds a light on China's investment via various mediums, private equity, the, the investment banks, what have you, in global companies. But, but is this a great reveal in some ways? And as I say, it's a great story, it's great illuminating, but, but where's the story? Where's the kind of rub here? The fact that a US manager with Chinese money is buying international companies. I think the story is about how much reach the Chinese have at this point. And if you consider the UK policy, which has been also under the microscope, that the UK has been accused of not having a coherent plan here. What the UK government says is that they do have a comprehensive and clear-cut plan around China, which is protect, align and engage. So so which part... Well, that just sounds like... Well, what yeah, what exactly. earth does that so, mean so in real world? This is James Cleverly trying to obfuscate the whole if thing. If you strip isn't it? it back then, so parts are meant to be protected. So what, these are the areas the Chinese can't invest in. So the aligned part, these are the ones they can invest in. Right. So I think this is the whole point. Assets in the West are now suddenly being ring-fenced from Ch the Chinese. But the reality is which ones of those are now hands-off when it comes to China. So this expose on where the money is and how widespread it is, is telling you that there's been a huge check that's been written by the Chinese for many, many years, and it's gone across industries. So if something is changing here, it means that these types of arrangements that were well and truly, yeah, let's face it, Betted. They were well and truly encouraged by a lot of arms of government as well, not just business. Those change down the track, don't they? Um, I want to bring into the equation another story, and this was from Apple, that it is having which, trouble. Which is a company that doesn't find China uninvestable. Exactly. This is a company that very much still does business with the Chinese, and it yeah. does so because it cannot find product in the West. And this comes to the Apple Vision Pro, a lot of reporting in the last 24 hours, that has turned into two Chinese vendors to potentially supply this type of equipment because it can't find it anywhere else. So again, it's still about the importance of China as the factory floor. De-risking is one thing, decoupling is another. And I think the market is still saying at this point, look, you cannot cut China off because it is still the factory floor when it comes to certain product. So I understand what Gina Raimondo is saying. And you know, there are concerns about intellectual property, which has been something that has been on the entire century as well. There are concerns about the, the actual trade barriers, the um, the customs barriers, the taxation, opacity as well, how companies are treated. But, but it is wrong to say, as indeed, dare I say it, the Chinese pointed out, that a large number of American companies find it uninvestable. We, you, we just mentioned Apple. One could talk about Tesla, finds it incredibly investable. Um, NXP, Broadcom, um, Starbucks, you know, the list goes on. Um, Wynn Resource, Las Vegas Sands, Qualcomm, TI. There is an enormous number of American companies doing vast amounts of business with China who find it eminently investable. So I appreciate the security concerns. I appreciate the intellectual property concerns and the trade barrier, artificial concerns and the state subsidy support that a lot of Chinese versions get. But that said, there are stunningly large amounts of American companies who find it absolutely eminently investable in China. That is a fact. But the crossover is going to get even worse if you think about even this Apple story that brought up. Then the micro OLEDs, uh, OLEDs that they've been looking at, these are not typically what you think is military equipment, but they are used or can be used in drones. So again, a slight crossover there. The next story we're going to talk about AI. Any company that's doing anything with AI, does that suddenly become a, a no-go zone too for Chinese investment down the track for security purposes? That's a good point. Um, let's go there then. NVIDIA shares closed at a record high after the chipmaker announced an AI partnership with Google. Under the ingredient or an agreement? I'll call it an agreement. Uh, NVIDIA will expand its AI offerings to Google's cloud customers. 
Uh, Google Cloud CEO Thomas Kurian told CNBC the partnership will be important for future AI projects. AI is maturing and there's a range of different kinds of models now. People need a certain set of accelerators for training. They need infrastructure for inferencing. They need technology to handle things like embeddings, where they're sourcing data into search from their enterprise databases. What we are enthusiastic about is the incredible interest we're seeing from customers, actual projects that are being done, and the number of customers that are going live with us. And as they deploy projects and go live and ramp, we will see growth. A U.S. federal appeals court has ruled that the SEC was wrong to deny an application from crypto investment firm Grayscale to convert its Bitcoin trust into an ETF. The move sent Bitcoin over 7% higher, although some of the gains have since been eroded. The ruling opens the door for the first product of its kind. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.